Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be taking a break from our usual format of discussing Beef Watch newsletter articles. Today's Beef Watch podcast is going to be focused around understanding greenhouse gas production as it relates to cattle production. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Frank Mitlaner, who's a professor at the University of California, Davis, focused on air quality. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Aaron. Dr. Mitlerner, this fall, you were part of the Herman Lecture Series that was held at the University of Nebraska on October 25th. And for those who are listening to this podcast, if you'd like to go back and watch that lecture series, much of the content we're going to talk about today was part of the keynote presentation that was given that day. And that can be found at hermanlectures.unl.edu. But before we talk more about greenhouse gas production as it relates to cattle and ruminants, share with us a little more about yourself, your background, and your current role there now at the University of California, Davis. Yeah, so with respect to my background, I'm a native from Germany who uh, grew up there. And when I was 27, I uh, moved from Germany to Lubbock, Texas, did my PhD there. Um, Well, Prior to that, I actually did a master in agriculture engineering at a university in Germany at Leipzig and then went from there to um, Lubbock, Texas for my PhD. And then after a short postdoc time, also in Texas, I went to California to join the faculty as a professor and uh, air quality extension specialist at the University of California in Davis. And I'm here in the animal science department. I'm also the director of the CLEAR Center, which is a center that researches and communicates areas around animal agriculture sustainability. The focus of your presentation this fall at the Herman Lecture Series was understanding some of the research and science behind greenhouse gas, specifically as it relates to cattle production. There's been quite a bit of information put out. There's concern by the global community around greenhouse gas production, the impact to that, of that gas production on the climate. You've also got some research that I think is very important for cattle producers to understand as we see some of these terms thrown around, the impact of gas production, specifically thinking about methane and cattle and what might be the implications of that. Share with us a little more about some of the key research that you've been doing and understanding from a producer's perspective, what's happening with methane production in cattle, as well as carbon dioxide and how cattle interact with grazing resources as we think about greenhouse gas production. Yeah, so there are different kinds of greenhouse gases. Methane is one of them, and I would uh, say it's the 800-pound gorilla if you are in animal agriculture, because animal agriculture uh, does have more of a methane than a CO2 uh, issue. Uh, And that's because particularly ruminant livestock um, produces methane in the rumen during digestion, and that methane is then belched out, a process called enteric emissions. So it's the front end of the cow or the ruminant in general that generates that methane. More methane is also generated from the animal's manure. And oftentimes methane is viewed as a liability to animal agriculture, but um, I think that I view methane more as an asset. And the reason why I do is because if you reduce methane, then you actually have a positive impact on climate. Namely, you are pulling carbon out of the atmosphere, much as if you were to plant trees, forests, And uh, as you well know, uh, when doing so, when you do plant trees or other uh, plants, then they take carbon out of the air. So if we reduce methane 
through feed additives or through manure management, we can reduce carbon emissions and we can reduce warming. And that gives us the opportunity to become part of a solution. So that's really much of what I discussed uh, along with um, the way um, that we have learned to quantify methane. And here one issue is really important. And that is the fact that in contrast to other greenhouse gases, methane is not just produced, but methane is also destroyed. There is an atmospheric removal for methane and that is largely not regarded. It's, it's normally not really considered when indeed it is of great importance. I call methane the fast and furious. Furious because it's a potent greenhouse gas, but fast because it's short-lived. And to understand the nature of methane is the precondition to effectively mitigating and making it into a solution rather than a liability. Share with us the more about what is the life expectancy of methane. So if we have a ruminant animal that belches out methane, how long does that stay present in the atmosphere? That methane stays in the atmosphere for about one decade, for about 10 to 12 years, and contrast that to a molecule of CO2 that stays in the air for a thousand years. So there is this process of atmospheric removal of methane, and that's called oxidation, to be precise, hydroxyl oxidation. And that is uh, a process by which uh, certain radical molecules uh, destroy methane, and, uh, and that happens within a decade. Talk a little about the, some of the research you've done there in California, specifically working with some of the dairies in that area, looking at opportunities in their feeding systems to reduce methane production. So there are two chief uh, avenues for methane being produced. The one is in the rumen of ruminant animals, and that is a function of uh, roughage being digested and uh, mainly by microbes, some of which are methane forming microbes. So ruminants can ingest cellulose containing feed and uh, so that's feed as high in roughage and, uh, and only they can do it. Monogastric animals cannot, uh, but the unintended consequence of that ability is that methane is formed. So that's the enteric emission portion. And here we use feed additives to reduce that enteric methane issue. Uh, they are at the experimental stage, but they are uh, promising. We found uh, reductions possible anywhere between 10 to 50-50%. Um, so that's enteric uh, methane. The other methane is related to manure storages. And here um, in California, where we have a very strong, the strongest of the United States dairy sector, um, we now have many dairies that cover their lagoons. The lagoons are the place where the manure is stored. And they cover that lagoon trap the biogas that normally would go, would, would go into the air, they trap that biogas and then convert the biogas from the, from the covered lagoons into vehicle fuel. Uh, this vehicle fuel is called RNG, renewable natural gas. And this vehicle fuel is then used to replace diesel in semi-truck fleets. So they're taking the biogas from the manure. It's now not going into the atmosphere, but it's trapped, it's converted into fuel, and then it's replacing diesel from semi-truck fleets. And that generates very, very strong credits. They're called low carbon fuel standard credits. They run at $200 per ton of CO2E, and they have elicited a new gold rush in California. We now have 
dozens of dairies that to convert biogas into fuel and to obtain significant financial revenue that way. Let's talk a little more about the interaction that ruminant animals have with grazing resources. And I'm thinking here specifically of perennial forage bases. Uh, Much of the United States and the world is covered by grasslands or other areas where animals are actively grazing. Part of that is that they're grazing forages that are carbon resources and then also building carbon beneath the soil. How might that be viewed as we think about animal agriculture and the value that would have for mitigation of greenhouse gas production? So there are two aspects to your question. The one is that particularly ruminant animals are capable of making use of a large portion of agricultural land that without ruminants would not really produce food. These lands are called marginal lands. So about two thirds of all agricultural land in the world and two thirds of all agricultural land in the United States is marginal, meaning you cannot grow crops there. Why not? Because it's too hilly, too rocky, it's not moist enough, so there's a lack of water or the soils are not fertile enough. As a result, what grows there is largely grasses containing cellulose. And that cellulose is not digestible by pigs, by poultry, or by any other animal. It is, however, digestible by ruminant livestock. So because of ruminant livestock, we can make use of two-thirds of all agricultural land called marginal land, where these ruminant animals upcycle, not recycle, they upcycle non-human edible feed, such as cellulose-containing grasses, into highly digestible and highly nutritious animal source foods. So that's one aspect, that ruminants enable us humans to make use of marginal lands. The other aspect is that, let's say, rangeland is generally not disturbed uh, by means of we we don't really till, we don't really plow um, uh, grazing lands. And uh, what happens there is that, of course, grasses, legumes, and so on grow there. While they grow, they take carbon out of the air during photosynthesis. And then the majority of that carbon that used to be in the air goes through the plant, does not stay in the above, but the majority goes into the below ground vegetation, and that is the roots, and from there into the soil, a process called soil carbon sequestration. Our soil, healthy soils, trap about a third of all human-caused greenhouse gas carbon. Okay, so carbon sequestration is a very important carbon piggy bank and extremely important in our fight against a changing climate. Uh, Only agriculture and forestry um, can really get credit for being part of soil carbon sequestration efforts. And, uh, and here we can do a better job in the future by reviewing how much tilling we do and where we can convert uh, current systems to low-till or no-till systems so that the carbon that's in the soil stays there and is not plowed and then coming out. As you work with producers and you want them to understand just the whole cycle of what happens with greenhouse gas, thinking about carbon, thinking about methane, What are some key things that you think are important for farmers and ranchers to understand from your perspective as you look at the next 10 and 20 years 
What are some things you think they need to know and understand to prepare for what may be coming as we think about regulation and greenhouse gases? So the first thing that has to happen is that farmers and ranchers have to have an understanding about climate, a changing climate. I can tell you our climate is changing. I can tell you human activity has something to do with that. So please don't think that this is a hoax. It's not a hoax. Uh, secondly, livestock does play a role in generating greenhouse gases. So we are contributors to greenhouse gases, but by mitigating those greenhouse gases, we can actually have a very positive role because we can reduce gases such as methane and thereby offset some of the warning, warming from other sectors, such as the fossil fuel sector. It's already happening that states like California, uh, our dairy sector, for example, have been reducing methane uh, to the order of 25% just by covering lagoons and converting that biogas into, into, uh, into fuel. Um, and we now have dairies that sell their carbon credit to the Chevrons and Texacos and other uh, companies in the world because uh, we can do that in agriculture. We can take out more than we put in, meaning uh, we can be a positive contributor. We can be a solution provider and be financially reimbursed for that. So to me, this is um, really important that farmers and ranchers understand that this whole climate issue, uh, if they maneuver this carefully and correctly, can be more at their advantage than disadvantage. And uh, I would recommend that producers really stay up on what's going on there. Uh, don't really be depressed by talk about the changing climate and livestock contributions to it but encouraged that we actually can be a positive actor. Anything else on this topic that you think would be valuable for livestock producers to know and understand as we point towards wrapping this up? Yeah, um, you know, here in California, we have a new law uh, which mandates a 40% percent reduction of methane. And first our farmers thought, oh my gosh, how in the world can we possibly uh, get this accomplished? Um, but even a few years after the law came into, uh, into effect, um, they found that the legislature um, assisted the farming sector by incentivizing methane reductions. And um, uh, just three years after the, wall, uh, after the law passed, we have already reduced 25%. We will achieve our 40% reduction. And I don't think that laws like that will not be limited to California. I think they will happen throughout the country and throughout the world in the future. And I think that our farmers can be part of that. Not just can they reduce methane, but they can reduce methane and make money with it and make money with that, either through manure management and or through enteric management and or through increased carbon sequestration efforts. So I'm quite bullish about it. Um, because I've seen evidence that farmers can reduce methane and make significant additional income while doing so. And so um, this is not something that a few outliers have done. There are now at least dozens, if not hundreds of farms uh, here in the state first in California, but soon throughout the country that will not just uh, farm to produce milk and meat and eggs and so forth, but also carbon credits and soil credits and so forth. And so the world is changing. Uh, we will change too, and we will not just survive, but thrive. Thanks again for joining me today. 
You are most welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me. For more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the Herman Lecture Series. Again, that can be found at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, hermanlectures.unl.edu. This was part of a presentation that Dr. Frank Mitwinner gave on October 25th. And would encourage you to go visit and see the presentation that was given, as well as the panel discussion that followed that.